0: So, some people have asked me, Malcolm, how often do you preach about race? In some of these encounters, I, I, I sense apprehension. <laughs> the, the suggestion that maybe I, preach, maybe I preach and talk about it too much. And I, I've said a few things in response to that. Uh, from now on, I'm saying uh, one thing and one thing only. Hey, Malcolm, how often do you preach about race? As often as the Bible talks about it. And it turns out the Bible talks about it a fair amount. And so, and so today's, today's passage might be, might be one of those. Um, this, this is a, it might be. Uh, so, this is, so this is a continuation, this is a continuation of what we talked about last week, the Jerusalem Council. And so one of the most profound questions of the gospel, and the first major controversy that the church gets into is a question of how do we include the Gentiles? God for centuries had told the nation of Israel, hey, you will be my people, and I will be your God. And so, but sometimes, as the people of God have a tendency to do, that message of grace can, can become a message of pride. Some looked to the Gentiles and said, hey, we're the people of God, you're not. But God's purpose has always been the inclusion of the Gentiles, you and me. The, the, the Jews were chosen in order to be a beacon to the world, and that's always the purpose of God's choosing. God chooses so that we would be a beacon of his glory, not that we would just rest on our laurels in a kind of holy huddle. And and so after the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, this great message of inclusion can be trumpeted as far as the ends of the earth. But here's the thing about including folks whom you're used to excluding. It's hard to do, really hard. And so our theme today is the fact that, that unity is not a guarantee. Nor is it something that you just fall into. It's something that depends upon the providential care of God and particularly the work of the spirit in his people. And so this text is about the precarity of peace. Somebody say the precarity precarity. of peace. peace. Let's hear the scriptures. Acts 15 verses 22 to 41. Yes, please stand for the reading of God's word, right?
1: And, some days, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, "'Let us return and visit the brothers in every city "'where we proclaim the word of the Lord "'and see how they are.' "'Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, "'but Paul thought best not to take with them "'one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia "'and had not gone with them to the work. "'And there arose a sharp disagreement "'so that they separated from each other. "'Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, "'but Paul chose Silas and departed, "'having been commen- comm- commended by the brothers "'to the grace of the Lord.' And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The precarity of peace. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak to your people through your word and through me, your instrument. May I decrease and you increase. Lord, soften hearts, change minds, and sanctify us, your people. I pray these things in the name of to the Father, in the name of the Son, and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. So I want to start with the joy of unity, and that's initially going to throw you off because I, because I know you probably know that I like to generally begin with gloom before we get to glory. Um, but today, today's going to be a little different. We're going to go glory, gloom, glory. So, 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 so for centuries, the people of the world have, have been separated into two categories, the Jews and the nations. The chosen people of God on one side and the Gentiles on the other. Now those lines, when we look at the scriptures, weren't always hard and fast. There, there have always been Gentiles who have been folded into the people of God. You can think of people like Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho. You can think of Caleb, one of the spies who's also a Canaanite. Uh, Ruth, who's a, who's a Moabite. There are, there, there are others. Uh, when we look at the Exodus, uh, in, in Exodus 12, 38, we're told that when the Hebrews leave, leave Egypt, a mixed multitude go up with them. So This, is, this has always been a kind, of, a, a, a kind of ethnic mix of folks, but One of the purposes of the law was to distinguish. And so, what separated the people of God from those around them? Certain practices did, and God's call. We eat these foods, the Gentiles don't. We do these sacrifices, the Gentiles don't. And in Romans 9, Paul outlines all the benefits that the Israelites enjoy by God's grace the adoption. The glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, and ultimately, according to the flesh, the Christ. All of these benefits that the Israelites enjoyed. And it's important to note that God is the one who gave them these things. God is the one who set Jew apart from Gentile for his own purposes. But that wasn't the end, that wasn't the final piece of God's God's plan. That separation was always to be for a time before God drew all types of people to himself. Jew and Gentile. And so that day comes in the giving of Christ and in the giving of the Holy Spirit, which Paul and which Paul and the apostles all witnessed. That's what we see in the book of Acts. And so now in Christ, Jew and Gentile are brought together in a way that they had never been before, and the new possibilities are endless. And so the Jerusalem council gathered to decide whether Gentiles needed to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses in order to be fully united to Jewish Christians. Do you need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses to be be unified with your fellow Christians? And the answer, according to this letter, is a pretty firm no, but kind of. So, it's a, so it's, it's, a firm, it's a firm no in the sense that, that circumcision and the law have no place in your justification. And, and what justification is, is it's, a, it's an act of God by which you're declared to be righteous in Christ. So it's a, it's a, it's a declaration, it's an act of God by fiat where it's like, it, it's like an act of a judge who says over you, the very much guilty criminal, because of what Christ has done on your behalf, you are free. Your works don't have anything to do with that. To receive that gift, you, all, all you do is re- you, you repent and place your faith in Christ for your salvation. And God sets you free and he adopts you in this, in this wonderful work of, 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 of emancipation and adoption. So it's a no in saying that the law has no part in your justification. But, there, but then there's also like a kind of. See, because it would, it would be dangerous for me to think that my, that my only job up here is just to give moral admonitions. Do this and don't do that. But it's important to keep in mind that freedom in Christ is not some kind of freedom to just do whatever it is that we want. It's a freedom to obey. And that's, that sometimes means some particular things. And so what we see in Acts 15, 22 to 29 is the declaration of a no, but kind of. Take, 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 take a look at verses 24 and 25. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, who set these extra requirements, unsu- unsettling your minds... Although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Pauls. So this letter is saying, hey, church, some people have spoken to you and confused you, making you think that your acceptance within the community depends on circumcision and some kind of law adherence, but we want to set the record straight. But here's some stuff that we actually do want you to do. We, 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 we want you to avoid food sacrifice to idols. Void blood, strangled meat, and sexual immorality. In other words, you are free in Christ by the grace of God alone. But here are some things that 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 here are some things that you ought to do to rightly maintain that unity, right ways to use that freedom. And so the so the so the so the important part of the, one of the the really important part of this passage is, is verse is verse thirty one. After this letter was read, the response was not the Gentiles saying. Dang it, we thought we could do whatever we want. Look at this heavy burden they placed on us. They don't say, look, they're giving us guidelines mean that they don't believe that we're actually only saved by the grace of God. They don't say, oh, look, legalism. Instead, they what? It's, verse, verse 31 says, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They rejoiced at what they were told. Th- that they were told that these are the sacrifices that we make in order to be joined in unity with our brothers and sisters. Not a sacrifice of animals, not a sacrifice of blood, but a sacrifice of love. A willingness to give up one's rights for one's brother or sister. The response was not, hey, we've got our Gentile church over here, we've got our Jewish one over here, and if they, they want to do their own thing, then they can do that over there. What they say is, Christ has poured his spirit on them as well as us, let's figure out how to do this together. And these things are specific. Eating and sex. Now, Now, we may not face the eating issues today, uh, but sex remains a volatile topic. For the early church, it was often linked to temple worship. But this ain't just about temple worship. For those wondering, in short, sexual immorality is, it involves all sexual activity outside of, outside, of the, outside of the one man, one woman marriage. So if it ain't that, it ain't on the table. So it doesn't matter even if it's going mainstream. So we're talking about things like pornography, adultery, sex with robots, and throuples, all of which are real things. <laughs> Thrupples. Some of you may not know what a thrupple is. So, um, uh, House Hunters, House Hunters, a few, week ago, a few, few weeks ago, had its first thrupple on the show, which is a man and two women. Uh, which, but but it's, it's a married couple that's found another person that they want to introduce into their relationship. This is a, this is a thing, and so and so and, and so it doesn't it doesn't matter even if it's on House Hunters. Sexu- it's sexual immorality according to the word. And the issue with sexual immorality is that it points you to an intimacy that will not fulfill you, dear brother and dear sister, no matter what it tells you, because only Christ can do that, and, Christ, and, and, and he's given us, and he's given us the church to be, to be this community in which we experience a love that when, when, when we put that pressure on any individual, they will fail us. Or any set of individuals, they will fail us. Only Christ can, can, can fulfill that need. Okay, so after that thoroughly awkward segue on sex, how do the the Gentiles respond to to this letter? Even with that seemingly restrictive command, the response is not, oh no, my sexual expression is being restricted. The response is joy. Joy at gospel unity. Joy at the opportunity to love brothers and sisters with whom they have once been separated. Joy that God had joined together what had once been torn apart. Verses 32 to 35 continue that joy with encouragement. Verse 32 And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is good news, Mosaic. This is the news that in Christ, people who were separate are joined together in one body. This is the good news that God, by the blood of Christ, has knit us together for us to grow together. In your families, in your workplace, in your dorm rooms, you you have relationships that have varying levels of unity. But with your brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to be an image of something deeper than just friendship. We are children of one eternal Father and siblings of one eternal Son. And as in all family life, sometimes you've got to fight for family. This means that the work is not done because we've still got growing to do and we've got unity to maintain because the enemy doesn't want us to be united, amen? And and in this text, the joy doesn't last long. Unity doesn't remain. Take a look again at verses 36 to, to 41. Verse 36, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Makes sense. We just planted some churches. Let's go back and check in, make sure everything's going all right. But, but there's a relational hiccup. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them, from them in, in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Don't overlook what we just saw. We see a significant split in the leadership of the church right after a beautiful display of unity. And why do Paul and Barnabas split? Is it because of some serious gospel issue? Did did one of them deny the divinity of Christ or say that Christ had never been raised from the dead? No, they break because of a disagreement about the maturity of Mark. Essentially, back in Acts 13, we're told that that Mark had turned back from continuing with Paul and Barnabas in their their missionary journey. And it's suggested by the text that this is a a failure on, on Mark's part. And, and and we also find that that Barnabas and Mark are cousins. So basically, what this situation is is Paul saying, hey, like if we're if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna do this kind of groundbreaking work and, and bring the gospel to the end of the world, we, we need people who are completely on board. And, Bar- and, and 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 it seems to be the case that Mark has Mark has pulled himself away. But Barnabas is saying, hey, like Barnabas is my boy, he's my like he, this is this is my cousin, like he's he's good people, like we can we can bring him with us. And so, but this disagreement is so sharp that they end up separating. Now, something that I think it's important for us to know is that both of them, both of them have entirely justifiable positions here. Paul and Paul and Barnabas. So this isn't an issue of kind of sinful separation. And so, what 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 might we be able to learn from that? What might the Lord uh, wish us to know about Him and about ourselves as a result of this text? It's this: unity is not a given. Nor is it easy to maintain. We can talk all we want about being united with one another in Christ. As a matter of fact, it's the most common argument against focused efforts for racial reconciliation. But Malcolm, we're all one in Christ. You're just causing division by saying these things. No imagined interlocutor. I'm not causing anything. (laughs) I'm just, I'm I'm shining a light on the fact that, 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 that while you may think and say that you're united, your life reveals something else. The fact of the matter is that when we, when we look around, we don't see that reality. And in many ways, it's our fault. We spend our time dividing over things that ultimately don't save, and we spend a lot of time fighting over what looks like unity, but isn't really unity. Let me, let me give you an example of what, I, of what I mean. Back in the 1780s, there were a lot of multi-ethnic churches. Black and white people worshipped together all the time. But there was a catch. Black worshippers had little to no freedom in those, con- in those contexts. They would sit in the Negro pu- pew or the African corner. And St. George's Methodist Church was one such church. White leaders required black parishioners to use chairs around the walls instead of the pews. And so during one service in 1787, a group of black members sat in some new pews that, unbeknownst to them, were reserved for white members. And so as these black members knelt in prayer, a white trustee came over and grabbed Absalom Jones and began pulling on him saying, Hey, you've got to get up. You can't kneel here. Jones asked him to wait until prayer was over. But this trustee said, No, you've got to get up now or I'm going to find somebody to help me and we're going to force you out. So after they finished praying, they got up and walked out. Now, Jones's friend, uh, Richard Allen, would reflect later. I was confident, he later wrote, that there was no religious sect or denomination would suit the the capacity of the colored people as well as the Methodists for the plain and simple gospel suits best for any people. But still, Richard Allen recognized that, that black Christians needed a place where they could worship in freedom, and this event was essentially the beginning of traditionally black denominations. Richard Allen is the one who founded the the, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And he did so not because of some idea of racial supremacy, but but, but, but because worship was being restricted. Said another way, the ones who fought for real unity were black Christians, while their white counterparts fought for a unity based on unfair dominance. While the former fought for the gospel, the latter fought for uniformity and conformity. And so when we consider unity and the fight for it, we have to know that it's worth fighting for it is worth fighting for a unity with one another that actually leads to us building one another up. After all, this is, this is what Jesus prayed for. John 17, 11 is mind-boggling. Uh, G- Jesus prays this, and, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, hold on, that they may be one, even as we are one. What? Okay, like, so, 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 so I know we're all good Good Trinitarians here. So the unity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a—that's a singular reality. Like we—we we don't know anything like, like that kind of unity. But Jesus is praying that the unity within the church might look like that. Which I, don't, I definitely don't see that. I want to. And so, what is it that separates you from your brother or sister? Is it your pride? Is it envy? Is it your unwillingness to be vulnerable? Is it your attachment to a particular form of worship? Your comfort? Is it, is, it, is it your clinging to your race or ethnicity as a subtle form of superiority? When I think about worship, I think about the fact that like one of the things that, that, that initially bothered me about gospel music was that you're just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> I'm like, it's why I love him so much, because you got just these, just this deep, just rich theological content. It's beautiful. But 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 that's because I ignored the fact that that what gospel music does, particularly, is when you're repeating this thing over and over and over again, it gets in your bones. Because there are things that we need to be encouraged with, and we need to we, there are things that we just need to hear over and over and over again, and we need to say them together over and over and over again because because this because this unity truly fellowship with your brother and sister in Christ is more important than any of these things that separate us. The unity between Jew and Gentile that we see in the Jerusalem Council is a beautiful unity. How much more of a joy would it be if categories which we created in order to separate ourselves from one another, class, race, gender, all, 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 all these things, what if these could actually be images of unity? Men and women working together in the nursery black and white, praise dancing to music together, rich and poor enjoying the Lord's Supper as one body. That, brothers and sisters, is worth fighting for, but it does not come naturally, and it does not remain without attention. It didn't remain with Paul and Barnabas. They, 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 they ultimately separate in Acts 15, 39 because, because of a sharp disagreement that isn't necessarily sinful. They don't separate because of a gospel issue. The, 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 the text just suggests that they have a sharp ministry disagreement until they go their own way, Paul taking who he wants and Barnabas taking his cousin Mark aside. I want to say that again. This separation is not the result of sin. Some of the ways that we separate from each other are the result of sin. But if you and your close friend disagree on the way to solve a problem to the extent that you just end up going your, doing your own thing, that's not necessarily a sin issue. It's a communion and community issue. You may not be as close as you would like to that person, but it's not sinful to disagree with someone. We, 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 and, and, and so, as, as an example, chances are there, there might be some matters that you'll disagree with the pastors of your church about. We get it. I mean, we, we expect it, but not all of those disagreements are worth us fighting over to the point of splitting. See some things, some things like like view of the end times or favorite theologians or what the best Marvel movie is. There is a right answer. It's Black Panther. That these these things, these, these things, these things are things that we can disagree about and not split. And this, but this, and, and this debate between Paul and Barnabas, it could have it could have been solved, but they both had firm, justifiable positions, and so for practical reasons they separate. And I'm sure that that separation was lamentable for both of them. I'm sure many of you have experienced this kind of separation, separation from someone you love that that may or may not have been a matter of sin, but whatever the circumstances, it's it's hard to lose someone that you're used to being united with. And it seems that our story ends there, with the separation of brothers in Christ who who fought hard to unite Jew and Gentile and then couldn't agree on taking mark with them. Sometimes we can fight alongside one another through dark times and, and then something Comparatively trivial can break us apart. But. But. This isn't the end of the story. Because, because while many of our relationships are founded on, on us, our feelings, our common interests, and our preferences, there, there is a relationship that's, that's not founded on those things. What do, I, what, what, what do I mean by that? Well, Barnabas is not referred to again in the book of Acts. But he shows up in Paul's letters. Specifically, specifically with reference to Mark. At the end of Colossians, Paul does his customary greetings, but notice this one in Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. When Paul writes this letter, Mark is with him. Something's happened. Some kind of reconciliation has taken place. Why? Because if I am in Christ, if I recognize myself to be a sinner and recognize Christ as the only source of my salvation, I enter into a into a relationship with my brother and sister in Christ. That's not rooted in how I feel. It's not rooted in my preference. It's not rooted in, in my ethnicity. It's rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It means that as Paul says in Ephesians 2:19, you all are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are our fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of my feelings, no, of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone Stone. That, brothers and sisters, is a firm foundation. See, because the eternal son of God descended and became flesh, became temptable, pierceable, and in many ways weak flesh. The unassailable, impervious, and omnipotent creator became, didn't, he became temptable, pierceable, and weak. But he didn't just become pierceable, temptable, and weak. He actually was tempted. He actually was pierced. He actually did lose Or so it might have seemed. Because on the third day after this supposed loss, on the third day after the disciples lost their rabbi, on the third day after the oppressed lost their comforter, God raised Jesus from the dead with all power in his hands, never to die again. And as he did to Christ, so he will do to you. Because if you are in Christ, nothing, I repeat, nothing can get you out. And our bond with one another is like that. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine? nakedness, danger, sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure and we must all be sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That That is the love that binds us to our savior. And that is the love that binds us to one another. Racial strife is one of the most salient principles of division that we see in our church, but our union with Christ shapes how we think about our ethnicities. It doesn't erase those distinctions, it reframes them. And what has been used to separate, what has been used and created to form categories of superior and inferior can be reshaped. What was once a sword can be a plow what was once used to kill can bring life and deeper worship now we may not see it in this life we may not see it fully in this life but we can be assured that we will see and experience it in the next when jesus returns not only to wipe all tears from our eyes but when he returns to sum up all of creation in himself when we will finally know true unity when we will no longer have to fight because the victory that Christ won on the cross for us will be fully realized. But in the meantime, we've, we've, we've got to fight for it. And we need the constant guidance and strength of the Holy Spirit. Because if we, try, if we try to do this, if we just try to do this because, oh, I just think it's the right thing. I should fight for it. We're, we will end in despair. But thankfully, the Lord has not left us alone. We have one another, we have the word, we have, the, we have prayer, we have, the, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have the sacraments. And so as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, I want to remember that this isn't a snack. This is a divine unifier. This is a taste of the life to come. As bread and wine nourish your body, so the body and blood of Christ nourish your faith. So when, we, so when we prepare to do this, I ask that we would do this with this in mind, some words from one of my favorite theologians. He says, none of the brothers or sisters can be injured, despised, rejected, abused, or in any way offended by us without at the same time injuring, despising, and abusing Christ by the wrongs we do. We cannot disagree with our brothers and sisters without at the same time disagreeing with Christ. That we cannot love Christ without loving him in the brothers and sisters. That we ought to take the same care of our brothers and sisters' bodies as we take of our own. For they are members of our body. And, and, And that as no part of our body is touched by any feeling of pain, which is not spread throughout all of our body, so we ought not allow a brother or sister to be affected by any evil without being touched with compassion for him. If you are a believer... You will eat this body and blood of Christ by faith and you will do so with black, white, Latino, Latina, indigenous, and Asian believers throughout time and throughout the world because you are one in Christ. This mosaic is unity and it is a unity that you are invited into. Repent and believe the gospel for what waits for you on the other side of the darkness of sin is the light of God's redemption and his providential, unifying, and nourishing care. Let's pray.